everyone, and welcome to Sugar Pills, your practical guide to self-care. I'm your host, Candy Washington, and I can't wait to help you lead a more joyful life. So let's get started on this week's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care. And before we dive into today's episode, which is a really exciting conversation with Romanda Brockett, don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to share it with a couple of your friends. And if you leave a five-star review, send me a screenshot of it at info at candywashington.com, and I will send you a free self-care gift. Don't forget to look at the show notes for all of your free self-care goodies and click that link that says the basic girl's guide to self-care which are some of my favorite goodies for you guys to peruse and if you're over on instagram give me a follow at at candy washington and tag me in your post of you listening to the podcast or any of your aha moments and i will show you some love back and i will definitely repost you so without further ado let's get into today's episode which is with Ramanda Brockett. So she's the only currently active registered dance movement therapist in the Kansas City metro area. She specializes in trauma recovery for women and children. And Ramanda is also currently working at a nonprofit community mental health organization. She also serves as the chairwoman of the Kansas City, Missouri's One Billion Rising Rally a community arts gathering that focuses on raising awareness of violence against and the exploitation of women and girls. So first, Ramanda, thank you for everything that you're doing for us. That's the first <laughs> thing. And um, I think my next question is, how did you get started in all this? What's a little bit about your backstory and, and who you are? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for tackling all that introduction. I didn't realize you were going to say all the things. why not I mean at sugar pills we celebrate all of the things so yeah you always have to celebrate and you always have to take uh take joy in what you do so celebrate all of the things for sure yeah so I got started in dance movement therapy um I didn't know it was a thing I had no idea that it was possible to do both of the things that I loved which is dance and help people Uh, in one profession and get paid for it. So Mm -hmm. definitely in my dream job, um, like you said, community mental health. So I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the love of the modality. I got started like I was always trying to help people. The the path has, the journey has always been helping people, but the path has changed. Mm -hmm. So I started out in ministry. I'm actually a shelved, which means paused, reverend in the assemblies of God. (laughs) Um, I started out in ministry. I did short-term missions work and eventually it was like so much stress for maybe like 10% reward. And the rewarding times was when I got to teach dance or perform dance overseas. So -hmm. it got to the point where I was like, how do I do the good part? Like, how do I skip to the good part? (laughs) Yeah. And for my self-care, um, believe it or not, working for a nonprofit um, is not all rainbows and cherries. I actually started having my first panic attacks in my early 20s when I was in the ministry mm-hmm. from all the stress. 
And I was like, I got to make a change. So without knowing what the next thing was, I just resigned because I just knew for my health, I couldn't keep going like that and having panic attacks all the time. So, um, I went home, <laughs> I went home, I ate a bunch of my mom's food. I went, I love to go running at night in the summer. Cause we live out in the country and it's real peaceful and see the stars, uh, and just stumbled on somebody else's like video project of being a dance movement therapist while I was looking for choreography. So it was kind of a happy accident and here we are, here I am. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. And like the happy accident, it was just almost like, a like a, like your calling came to you, you know? So like what I hear in your story is, is passion and purpose. So like, you know, they say passion is what is for you. It's like what you suffer for, like what you love. So you're really passionate about dance and movement. And then your purpose is what you do that's in service of others. So that was like your community aspect or therapy aspect. So you really got that sweet spot of where your passion met your purpose. And so I, I really love that about your your story and what you're doing and you know you can be a non in non for profit and don't worry like it's okay to make money too <laughs> like you're like I do it for it but I don't do it for the money but I think especially sometimes when we work in those types of fields we feel like we're not allowed to be profitable or not allowed to prosper but I think it's it's okay to it's okay to prosper from, from, from what we're doing. Cause what you're doing is, is very meaningful as well. So for okay. us who are listening, can you tell me a little bit more about what exactly dance movement therapy is in case we're not familiar with it or, or in case we might think it's something that it's not? Absolutely. So in the family of science, what dance movement therapy is, is it's a branch of embodiment studies. That's embodiment with an E. And what embodiment studies means is that everything, it's a belief or a theory that everything we experience emotionally shows up physically. So like when you stress out and get a headache or, you know, when someone's very, um, has a lot of mental health issues and they end up having a, um, a immune system disorder, that's a great example of embodiment. So taking that to the extreme, we're one of the branches on the embodiment study trees. We're right there up with physical therapy, massage therapy, uh, martial arts, anything that crosses the mind body line and tries to get both to cooperate. That's probably embodiment. Mm -hmm. um, what, we, what we are as far as um, the family of psychology is we are a branch of the expressive therapies tree. So expressive therapies assumes that we can use expressive arts for diagnosis for treatment and as a means of achieving therapeutic goals. My branch happens to be dance movement. Um, I have a lot of good friends who are music and art therapists and uh, it's pretty much the same agreement, but just a different modality to use. Yeah, and explain what you mean by modality for, people, for, for us listening. Modality is the type of therapy that it is. So there's all kinds and I hope that this, this lets people have more options and more empowerment to ask for different kinds of therapy. Because when you say therapy, you think sitting on a couch talking, right? And that does not have to be it. It can be sand tray therapy. It can be dance movement. It can be poetry. It can be drama. It can be visual arts. It can be music. There's so much. And that's what I love about expressive therapies is because it's not about talking and you don't even have to talk. I can diagnose you without talking. I can treat you without talking if we have to. I mean, I hope eventually we do because we're having a good relationship, but 
Um, it's just more different kind of therapy through use of a thing such as dance, such as music. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different um, like medium for, for healing. Exactly. Good word. Yeah. Medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good medium for healing. And you spoke about before that you had panic attacks. So I think a panic attack is like a, a very crystallized example of exactly what you're talking about, how something emotionally or mentally can manifest in our physical form. So did you use any of your dance movement um, to, to heal yourself of the panic attacks or how, how has that played into your own personal journey? I love this question because I love <laughs> sharing my personal journey because it's yeah. empowering. Like that's probably one of my theme words. I don't know how many times I've already said it so far, um, but being in practice of expressive arts has definitely been part of my personal journey of healing. Mm -hmm. um, on paper, I have panic disorder. Now, if I was to go sit in somebody's office and get re-diagnosed, I probably wouldn't qualify for that anymore. Um, I haven't been on medication for a year mm -hmm. uh, total. So not all of that was just me doing authentic movement, which is one of the practices of dance movement therapy. Um, so I did authentic movement. Um, I became a visual artist as part of this journey because I learned um, collaging as a form of nonverbal journaling from my art therapy friends. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, that's been going for five years. So yeah, I just, that's, great. that's how I have my conversation with myself instead of, because I found when I was journaling words, I would get so judgmental and so negative. Like my old journals sound like crap. Like who is, talking <laughs> to me? who is talking to me like this? Oh, that was me, man. I was not being nice to me. Yeah. So changing the medium really shifted the conversation for me. Um, and of course, lifestyle management, less stress, eating better, sleeping better. Like I, I basically became a day planner guru and tried to be as healthy as possible to be free of, you know, it's fine for people to have medication. Like mental health is a medical problem. Mm -hmm. And if you need medicine to fix that, great. I need medicine to fix my asthma. Like that's fine. But for me personally, because I only had that panic disorder circumstantially, I took it as a challenge to heal myself out of that once I was out of that circumstance. And for me, that happened to be that now I'm no longer on medication or in personal therapy. Yeah, definitely. And I love that we're having this conversation because it's just such a great reminder that there are so many different ways to take care of yourself holistically. You know, if, if, if it's the medication that works for you, then do the medication. If, it, if it's the talk therapy, do the talk therapy. If it's painting, if it's artwork, if it's collaging, if it's journaling, if it's meditation, if it's, you know, changing your diet or doing walks in nature or exercise, it's really finding out what is that self-care recipe that really works for your individual, you unique needs. And I think sometimes we forget like exactly what you're saying, that there is all of this expressive therapy out there. Um, so I love that we're having this conversation because it really opens up a door to, to other ways of, of healing and self-discovery and self-awareness that we sometimes might forget about, or we might not think is accessible for us. So I love that we're having this conversation. And um, also what comes up when talking to you is it seems like this would also be a really good treatment for PTSD because, you know, a lot of times, you know, trauma 
like the body remembers those traumatic things. So if you can work out the trauma in the body, it, it, it can be a way to alleviate and to heal it. So do you use it a lot for people who suffer from um, PTSD? Absolutely. So I, I feel like we're having all these synchronous moments when you ask me these questions. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, universe. Hello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, once again, I, on paper, have PTSD, me personally. Mm -hmm. um, been through some crazy life and death things. Um, was technically the first man on the scene of a tragedy and uh, really had to find my own connection to trauma healing to even get to a place. This was in the middle of training to be a dance movement therapist. Now, all of a sudden, I needed it because I needed access to healing before I was going to have anybody sit in my office, right? <laughs> exactly. So the overlap of um, the study of somatics, which is um, more into the physical manifestations and physical symptoms of mental health, being able to study that and specialize in trauma recovery during my internship was a huge amount of breakthrough because I was able to see other people who were suffering with either CPTSD, which is complex PTSD or PTSD, and see their access points to what works for them. Um, so today I don't necessarily um, only work with one thing, but I can tell you that a lot of people that are in my office or on my schedule lately see uh, the PTSD or the CPTSD is one of their big things. <laughs> and when we yeah. first meet, they kind of, it's like a little challenge. Like we're, we're kind of a snobby club. I'm sorry to say they're kind of like, well, I have PTSD and I'm like, me too. Come at me, bro. Like here we are. <laughs> we'll work on it together. Um, yeah. So it's a huge way to unlock what is there because trauma, like you said, gets coded in the body we have muscle memory, we have five sense memories. And that's where those triggers for PTSD often come from. It's often a sound or a smell or a specific colored sweatshirt, unfortunately. So being able to work from the body level, I believe is more breakthrough than having to stick to only the conversation level. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge advocate for, um... For, for talk therapy, like psychotherapy conversation level, like I think that's like the baseline, but then I love having um, all these other supplemental forms of therapy to help with that. So I love that. And I think also when it comes to PTSD and just trauma in general, I think it's a good thing to remember that there's big T trauma and there's little T trauma, right? Like sometimes we think of people with PTSD, we think, oh, it was like a plane crash or it was like some year long abuse that happened or he, it was like a, a World War II vet, you know, like we think of like these big T traumas. But when you really right. think about, you know, traumatic experiences, we on average, we have a lot of like little T traumas. You know, it can be traumatic being in just like a fender bender car accident. You know, it could be traumatic going through a breakup. It could be traumatic going through some type of loss. It could be, you know, there's little T traumas that happen all the time that our mind may or may not process, but that our body definitely remembers. So I think even just having like a daily practice or, you know, a weekly practice where you're getting in tune with yourself and really figuring out, you know, what your body is reacting to, what it, what 
is triggering you for certain things, you can really help heal those little T traumas. Cause like you said, like the walk in, they're like, I have PTSD. And I think it has to be this like big, massive thing, but you know, we're human beings and like as human beings, we're, we're constantly facing little traumas all the time. Like you don't even realize that, you know, someone being mean to you can be trauma, you know, like a grandparent passing away can be trauma, you know, change can be trauma. It's just anything that's like unexpected or anything that kind of catches you off guard is, can be, you know, little T traumas. And I think, you know, using the art therapy, moving your body can really help to work out those little T traumas. So I, I, I love that. And then another thing I was thinking um, while you were talking about what you do is this seems like this would be really good to for children to communicate um, what they're feeling and what they're going through. You know, sometimes or people who may be um, mentally or verbally limited, you know, if they don't have the language to say, this is how I feel, or if they don't have the capacity to say, this is what happened to me, or this is what I'm going through, you know, it might be a, a safe and easy language to draw it or to collage it or to move or to move their body to it. So it seems to me like this would be a really good um, uh, resource for, for children. Do you, do you find that a lot of children come to you or is that something that you, you do? Absolutely. So currently, um, the, just the campus that I work for, mm -hmm. for community mental health, they see adults. Um, so just in this phase, I'm on a little tiny break from working with kids. They are my favorite. They are my specialty. Um, there's all kind of worlds of communication mm -hmm. within movement, within posture, with just how somebody sits with how their body is in space, um, to where, you know, I could be a therapist for itty bitties. I could be with a two-year-old and get some therapeutic progress. They don't have to be able to talk because of the special language of movement that I have to analyze and diagnose what's going on. We could have progress before they even learn to talk and get rid of a pre-verbal trauma. They don't have to wait to be old enough to talk about it. So I love talking about the work with kids. Um, I actually wrote my thesis on exactly what you're talking about, whether it's children, whether it's nonverbal uh, folk, whether it's people with mental or developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a protocol, which is called the RAIN protocol, R-A-I-N-E. Um, and each of those things stands for a step in my protocol where basically you become an anthropologist and you move into the child's personal culture, their personal universe, and you figure out change from there. Um, and that is definitely my passion. I've seen, you know, kiddos who are, have a whole list of things and they, their team says, oh, they can or don't talk. And in six weeks, they're singing me a spontaneous song to explain about what we're playing with in the therapy room that day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, kids just have a huge capacity for breakthrough. I love it. Uh, that's my favorite place to be. Yeah. And what does RAIN stand for? RAIN. So I named it after my grandmother who she was a, um, a gestalt therapist here in Kansas city at the women's center back in the seventies. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was big into dancing her whole, basically her life motto was dance, just dance. <laughs> so, um, following in her footsteps, and I, I, obviously I didn't cognizantly set out to do it, but I named it after her. Her full name was Lorraine. Um, R stands for relational. First, we have to be in relationship, right? This, um, this person or this child is not going to 
just tell me all the things or show me all the things, you know, we have to have rapport. Um, so relational, keeping up the relation is the first thing, always first. Um, A stands for access, which is the next layer once I'm in relationship then I gain access, then I am allowed into their universe, right? Yes. I, for internal, for the internal world, then I begin, I got access, so now it's like Narnia. Now I'm like, okay, what's in here? What are their symbols? What are their totems? What does everything mean? Um, one kiddo, he, uh, without disclosing too much, he would get real excited and he would headbutt me and he didn't mean to hurt me or bruise right. me up like yeah. that. He was a little chunk muffin. I had some bruises. He really was going in for a hug, but he did not have the, at that time until later in therapy, he didn't have the body connections to know that his arms had to come too. He was used to just being inside of a hug. So he was leading with his noggin and kind of knocking <laughs> <it> around. <laughs> so we're at I, in is for navigating. So now I'm in their universe. And now I know their symbols and know their language. Now I can navigate them around. Now I start putting in scenarios or asking questions or putting up symbols to facilitate furthering the therapeutic process. Now I'm driving, right, with them, co-piloting. And then E is for engagement. Engagement, engagement, engagement. Because if he's gonna run over there and, and go scribble crayons on the wall. My job is to go bring him paper and we're going to draw on the wall because that's what we're doing. I'm going to stay engaged no matter what, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I don't think I'm navigating, I'm always going to re-engage. So that's what the RAIN protocol stands for. <laughs> that's where I work for that specific population that we're talking about. That's where I work from. Yeah, no, I love that. I, 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 I love the RAIN system. I feel like that's a good system just for like relationships in general. <laughs> like I feel like that's a really good way to like approach um, building relationships. I love, I, I love it. And I love the engagement part, like that you're going to engage no matter what, because I think sort of the beauty of that and also like the beauty of like the expressive um, forms of therapy that we've been talking about, it seems really non-critical and non-judgmental. And I think oh, that's absolutely. what really opens up the space for people to, you know, really ask the real questions and really do the real work and to really throw themselves into, to, into the healing process because it, it's almost like a safe way to express yourself without feeling like you're going to be judged. Because yes, I'm a huge advocate of um, therapy, but I think some people feel shame around it or embarrassment or... Um, they feel like they're going to be judged in some way. So I think um, having, you know, therapy and this is also a good way to kind of feel that you're not being criticized and you're not being judged. It's almost like a safe space to express yourself is, is really what came up for me. And that's exactly what we call it. Either we say safe space or we say safe container. Yeah. Because as the therapist, I... I'm containing that universe, right? I'm, I'm, I'm managing that chaos. Like this is where it's okay for you to do all the crazies. So like, go for it, get it out. Cause you're going to have to go back to school and behave in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, not even behave. It's more like they're allowed to be their authentic selves and to like express themselves because them drawing on the wall isn't misbehaving. It's just the way in which that they're trying to communicate. 
So it's nice for them to, so it's a good for them to be able to express themselves authentically without feeling like, oh, if I do this, then I'm misbehaving in some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I said behave, I meant like they're going to leave me and go back to the outside system that makes them behave. <laughs> yeah, 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 a little, a little different, a, a little yeah. different order, definitely. And so what are some things that you've learned about, you know, like yourself in the process being, um, you know, um, a dance movement therapist? Like what are some things that have really come up for you during your journey? Oh, I got clear with that, man. You asked that question and I started feeling it. I'm already like tearing up. <laughs> Feel free to cry. I'm sending you a virtual hug. <laughs> so some of the things, um, obviously would be being able to engage with my family legacy, mm-hmm. um, of healers. I'm one of like four cousins who has some kind of master's degree in therapy or social work following in my grandma's footsteps. Um, so just the support of, you know, this mass of extended family that I have that are all like, oh, grandma's like, she's not here anymore, but they're always like, grandma's so proud of you. You know, yeah, Yeah. just the support, not that I didn't know I was supported, but as a profession, as a career, as a vocation, having the support, the ongoing support of my family, like this is the right work for you is huge because you can naturally get to places where you're like second guessing it. You're, I, you know, me personally, I'm like, my office is a closet and you know, you start doubting stuff, (laughs) getting critical. Um, and the second thing would definitely be just how big of a container I can actually be because of being challenged because of being stretched because of being in the position of, okay, this is something brand new. Um, and especially with it being community mental health, sometimes it's free because it's grant work or it was free when I was an intern. People get nuts and they're like, okay, here's 40 kids, have a class. And I'm like, oh, okay, 40 kids all at once. And then I do it and then I did it. And I'm like, oh, I'm a big enough container for 40 kids. Oh, I'm a big enough container for somebody who's actively suicidal to talk them to, oh, I'm a big enough container for a grief group of people that lost a loved one to COVID. Like I just keep getting surprised at how much room there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I love, I love that. I love that you said that um, you keep getting surprised at your own capacity. And I love that. Like, and because I, I do believe that like the more in service you are of others, the bigger that expands, you know, like Mm -hmm. your, your, love expands your understanding expands your wisdom expands like your support system expands so I I love that because you almost surprise yourself at what you can give and do um but with that like me like I'm definitely a recovering um codependent personality so so I um so I love that like you're saying like your capacity expands but what do you do to take care of yourself like what do you do to make sure that you're not overextending yourself. You know, it's always keep your cup full and what run is over is for everyone else. So how do you make sure that your cup is still full while mm-hmm. your capacity for others is growing? Gotcha. I, li- I like that metaphor. I actually have a little bit of a cultural variance on that metaphor. I grew up being taught that you have two cups. 
and one cup is for you and the other cup is for everyone else. So you don't even, there's a boundary there. You don't even cross to that second cup because that's you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe it was just the, the language of knowing that there are boundaries from a very young age. My parents were in the ministry. Um, I went to, I told you I went to ministry school. So that mm -hmm. was constantly part of the language of boundaries and you don't give everything away. And, you know, in case the oxygen masks drop, please put yours on first because we need you to survive. So then you can help people. Um, so just having that understanding that that was my approach to my professional life long before my professional life was even a thought or an idea or an inspiration really helped me have the expectation of, Hey, it's kind of hard work to manage this. You actually have to be in action to do this boundary to stay clear. So, <laughs> so some of it, some of it was the preface, the metacognition about it, mm -hmm. um, and then just what I do professionally, what I do is I make sure that each person's time is their time. So like if the previous session, someone just told me the most horrible thing I think I've ever heard, and that keeps getting surprising too, then I might, you know, I end on time and have 15 minutes to do my paperwork, but I might go ahead and skip paperwork and go for a walk around the building. Or I might check with the front desk. And if the person isn't there, if they're not on time, I will just ask the front desk, like, hey, let that person know that we're on a 15 minute delay so that I can do some authentic movement, do some art, do whatever I need to do to get that get complete with that get complete with my response to that last thing because then the next person really needs to be their time and I really need to be able to be present with them and have that be just their container yeah I love that like that's a a, a beautiful self-care tactic like to me it sounds like you you're intentional with cleaning your energy like you want to clean out the space, you want to clean out the energy so that when the next person comes, like it's their clean slate that, Absolutely. that, that um, they're not picking up on the other person's energy. And then you're not stewing in that energy and bringing it to your next thing. Cause like that mm -hmm. happens like in life in general, right? Like, say you, like you woke up and your spouse was like cranky. So you picked up on that cranky attitude and then you come to work and then you like yell at your assistant and then your assistant <laughs> picks up on you yelling at them and then they go home and yell at their roommate. So it's like, everybody's like passing on like negative energy that wasn't theirs to begin with. So I, I really love the idea of like doing like a, a clearing, you know, just clearing out that other energy and like filling your cup back up and then going in with the second cup for the other person. So I, I love that. I think that's a really good um, self-care tactic to use. Absolutely. And have you ever felt, and if this is too personal, let me know, but have you ever felt this like super overwhelmed by something someone's told you and you couldn't shake it? Like for me, like I, 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 I could never do that because like, I, I have such respect for people in that field and what you do because I soak up. I'm so like, I'm very empathic. So I just, I soak, I would soak it up. I would just like take in their energy. I would feel it. It would be really hard for me to like, let it go and to have, and be separate from it. So like, have you ever had that where it's like someone's come in something and it's sort of like that one case, that one person or, or whatever it is that you couldn't shake? 
Absolutely. So yeah. I want to go back to internship days. I started having like crazy, crazy, crazy back cramps, like cramp muscle cramps in my back. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, I was researching, you know, all my wellness stuff and getting my lifestyle together at the time. And I'm on this healing journey. Um, and I actually went to a Reiki masseuse. Um, so that's Reiki <laughs> and massage at the same time, mm. um, which is amazing. Like yeah. they're actually touching you, they're actually massaging you, but the Reiki energy is flowing at the same time. Um, and I had a, she had to cut me a special deal. Like she had to give me like a 90 minute session so that we could talk for 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after, because like I would see stuff, she would see stuff, like I would feel stuff. And like, we had to talk it out because I was, you know, cause I'm so aware because I'm in the club too of super yeah. healers or empaths or whatever yeah. you want to call us. <laughs> and oh, from yeah. that experience, she, she started one of my first sessions. She started talking to me about, she's like, you know, there's all this stuff that I'm pulling from your mid back and it doesn't seem like you. And she's like, it really feels like you're taking on yep. a lot of burdens. And at that time I was an intern. I was a full-time intern, um, dealing with state protected children. So I was listening to some of humanity's worst hits as far as things that people did or neglected or abused for itty bitties. And what I was doing energetically without knowing it, energetically, I was trying to take that pain and just shove it behind my, get it as far away from that baby as possible and protect them from it, which is crazy because it's their pain already. They're already in pain. Yeah. Subconsciously without having training, you know, as being a super feeler without having that training, I had no idea. I was just doing that. Um, so she was really instrumental in getting me started on my, my protocol of, you know, clearing out after every client, managing my own energy. Um, some of that's music, some of it's crystals, some of it's prayer, but there's always been a clear, mandate or rule unwritten rule for myself that like if so if I the second I feel something sticking to me I know I need to do more work because that's not mine to keep exactly (laughs) yeah yeah and I send it to the universe because I don't have to keep it like the universe can handle it the universe put me here in this position to hear this story so if I give it back and transmute it back it's safe in the vault like it's in the cloud basically I don't have to walk around with it (laughs) no exactly and like I'm 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 really empathic too And, and as empaths we since we feel so deeply like we we feel the other person's pain we take on this responsibility that like it's our job to to, to heal the pain or to stop the pain, even if we don't have the capacity to. So we still, so we take it on. So that's what your body was doing. It was trying to put it in the back, put it in the back, and then you got back pains. <laughs> so that definitely um, makes sense. And I love that you said you bring it out to the universe. Like sometimes when I have a bad thought or like anything comes up like that, or taking on somebody else's energy, I just say, okay, thought, okay, energy, I acknowledge you, I see you, and I release you back into the universe for good. So I always make sure to, 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 to say like for good, because it's usually like a bad energy you're taking or pain. So I say, I release you back into the universe for good, like for like for the goodness, you know? Um, so 
I love that you do that too. Have there been any other things that you've learned about, you know, just like yourself or self-care in general? And then also, I know that you had a religious background. Has your religion um, or faith or spirituality, has that played a part in, in, in what you currently do today? Like, how does that ma manifest? Yeah, for sure. So those, um, those kind of overlap a bit, because for me, I would classify myself as spiritual, mm -hmm. but I haven't walked away from the faith of, you know, that I grew up in. I've, to me, I've added to it. Um, personally, starting in the ministry and ending up what I call this now is I tell people, especially Christian people who will, you know, have more of the vocabulary, the way I explain it is, you know, I'm answering my calling to the hidden missions field of mental health in America. Because if there's any mission field that people don't want to sign up for, you can think about Yemen or Africa or whatever, but may I submit that mental health is just as scary when you take it as a mission field. Um, so to me, the path changed, but the calling did not. Me being a mental health counselor is part of constantly striving to fulfill my version of Isaiah 61, which I, I don't know how Bible literate you are, but it says the spirit of God is on me. He's called me to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. That was a prophecy about Jesus that he read about himself in the temple. Like, hey, here's my resume, guys. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who are in ministry or in um, the clergy feel really strongly like, okay, this is my calling. I'm, this is, you know, I'm following Jesus. This is what I'm called to do. Bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free. Now, just think about that in a mental health context. I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So that takes a lot of pressure off me. Because all of a sudden, now I'm just the assistant. I'm, I'm, I'm just the assistant counselor. I come in with the Holy Spirit, who we know as the great counselor, and he's the boss. And I just follow his lead. I'm just the assistant now. So that takes a lot of perspective to take all that pressure off me to go, okay, I'm actually just here to listen and move with what's happening. I'm not in charge of making breakthrough happen. I'm not in charge of making change happen. I'm in charge of being here and listening and paying attention to what's going on today. So that's, that's huge for me. <laughs> yeah. You, you're saying like, you're, you're there to be God's vessel. God is working through you to help these people. Um, yes and no. More like I get to sit with them while God works in them. <laughs> I get to be, I get to be like the midwife. Like it's already breakthroughs already in them. God's plan for them is already in them. I just get to be here and assist. Yeah. But at some, but on, but in order to be there to assist, God has to be working through you as well. Right. Yeah. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I love that. I love that. And then I definitely think it's true. And when, when I think about the scripture, you said, um, bind up the brokenhearted and to what was it release the captive or, or free the captives set the captive free set the captive free yeah. when I think of that in a mental health lens it's so true because a lot of what comes down to to mental health is what our relationship to our thoughts are 
And a lot of times um, depression and anxiety and worry and, and, and those type of things, you really are a prisoner to your thoughts. And once you're able to become the thinker of your thoughts and the observer over your thoughts and get some perspective and some distance on your thoughts and know that you are not your thoughts, then, then you're free of your thoughts. And so I think to me, that's really what came up when, when you said that. And so like, you know, through, you know, talk therapy and the expressive arts and dance and, and all of that stuff. And even like even certain medications, just, you know, whatever your particular, you know, therapeutic treatments are, Mm -hmm. it, it really is taking you from being a captive mind to a freed mind. And when you're, yeah. And so for me, that's what came up when, when, when you said that. So I definitely see the correlation um, between the two, between like, you know, helping people free themselves, you know, there's nothing more powerful than a a changed mind. Like once you're able to really get that level of self-awareness, a different level of consciousness, a different level of um, perspective on things, then, then you truly do become free because a lot of people are suffering solely because they are trapped in their own minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so a part of, you know, mental health is, is, is being free to decide what you think. <laughs> it sounds weird, but it, it's the truth. Like once you realize that you have the power to decide what you think, that changes the trajectory of your life. Because usually how you think is how you feel. How you feel is how you um, show up in the world. Your thoughts create your belief system. Your belief system is what is the foundation of your actions. And it's it's true, like the subconscious mind is really what rules your life. So when you really get control of your subconscious mind, that's when you're able to fundamentally change your life. For sure. And I would say... I would flex that language a little bit and say, yes, control, because, you know, you're, you're in the driver's seat now since the awareness and the, the skills that, that you would practice with a therapist. But I would also say partnering. I would also say part of the process is that the symptoms or the mental illness or even your own subconscious stops being the enemy. We start to get curious And we start to partner with the symptoms that show up to find where the healing is. So it's kind of like brokering a peace deal with yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that's the midway. I mean, I I think, I think the final frontier is controlling it because, because, because I think partnering is a step. I think, I think that, I think partnering is a part of the process, but I think the end goal is to know that your higher self is what is actually in the driver's seat. Because as long as I'm partnering with somebody else and they still have power over what happens. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think once you realize that it's the the two people who are, you know what I mean? Like, I think you're, when you get to the point where, you know, it's your higher self is the one who's truly the one that should be in charge. then that's, Mm -hmm. that's really when you're free. And that's when things really change up. But I think partnering is a part of that process. I think when you're, lack that awareness, you don't even realize that you're separate from your thoughts. But a part of the process is saying like, oh, I can partner with my thoughts. And then after you partner with your thoughts, you're like, oh no, my higher self is actually one that's in control. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's a really good crystallization of the process. Yeah. 
yeah because then once you get to that level that's when like you know the the game the game changes because I know for me I talked I said before about um I talk a lot about codependency on the podcast and stuff because that's kind of like the journey that I had to go through and with that it was based on like where you got your value from, like whether it's like performance-based or intrinsic. And in part of switching, you know, where you get your value and your worth from really is with your thought patterns and really in your thinking and really getting control of that. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's insane. But I also loved how you were saying how when you grew up, you had really clear... um, boundaries and you had a really clear understanding of like what uh the standards were and what the boundaries were I think that's great that's a really healthy way to to navigate the world yeah I had the luxury of a lot of good models in my life yeah no that's great (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much for joining us this has been a really good discussion and if you had one thing to leave us with if we only took away one thing from our conversation, either something that we've said or something that we haven't said, what would that one piece of, of wisdom or guidance you would want us to know? I would say, I would say it's going to sound crazy, but there's no crazy. (laughs) Take the case, take the case that 100% empowerment is possible inside community, whether that's you getting individual therapy or joining a support group or joining a peer group or going to a church. I would really believe and work from the point that 100% empowerment, empowerment is possible. Yes. Yes, it is. Amen to that, Romanda. <laughs> <laughs> And I will have everywhere to find you linked in the show notes, but just for everyone listening, let us know how can we um, find you? How can we join you? How can we support you? How can we go to you for support? So let us know where can we find you? For sure. So right now, the best place to do that is just finding me on LinkedIn. Um, It's my name. It's nothing special. It's just Ramanda Brockett. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. The reason being where I am in the certification process. Um, I'm not in private practice just yet. It's cooking, it's on the way, it'll be here soon. Um, but I don't, I don't, I haven't released the website or anything like that yet for my future private practice. Um, but LinkedIn is gonna have all the announcements, um, everything that I'm doing. If you're in the Kansas City area, please visit onebillionrising.org to sign up to participate. Um, this year's event is virtual. So we're asking people to share art or poetry or just photos of themselves engaging with this year's theme. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the main thing. I'm not, I'm not all over the place just yet, but we will be soon. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, as long as you have some place for people to connect with you, that is really all you need. So again, Ramanda, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been a very um, lovely and enlightening conversation and I just really thank you for your time and I thank you for sharing your insights and your experiences with us awesome thank you for having me I appreciate your work and getting self-care out there and, and making this conversation happen absolutely 
And for everyone listening, don't forget to go to the show notes for where you connect with Ramanda. And don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until then, be well. Thank you so much for joining me and please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Head over to Instagram and join me at Candy Washington. I can't wait to hear from you.